All right, hello from IRES, um, and we are starting a resident and attending spotlight series where we talk to residents attending at various institutions to get a better sense of each program and their uniqueness. And today we are joined by Dr. Harris Ahmed, who is a resident physician at Loma Linda in California. Uh, Dr. Ahmed, did you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, dude, thanks for having me. My name is uh, Harris Ahmed. Like you said, I'm a PGY1, soon to be PGY2 in about two weeks here in uh, Loma Linda. I was raised here and um, I'm very happy to be home and, you know, serving the patients that, uh, that I grew up with. Awesome. Well, I'm very jealous that you're in California while I'm in the middle of Missouri. Um, but I agree with that. <laughs> we just have a few questions here for you today. Um, and we'll start off a little bit more general. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your path towards uh, matching into ophthalmology to tell us a little bit about where you went to college and, and the process of how you kind of got into Loma Linda? Yeah. So for me, I was, you know, born and raised here in Southern California. I was born in Orange County. I went to high school here. I went to undergrad at UC Irvine. And then before medical school, I, I worked for a year at Cedar sinai as like a health educator. And I got my MPH at USC, which took two years. Uh, and then I went to New Mexico State for medical school. It's very small a DL medical school and it's a newer school. So it was challenging for me to get networking and experience in ophthalmology just because we didn't have a residency program in the entire state. Sure, we didn't sure. have an ophthalmology department at my school. There was really, you know, no one that I had access to locally. And so I had to hustle a little bit in terms of doing re getting research projects and meeting people and, you know, being sincere while doing, doing that. And, I was able to, you know, schedule a lot of away rotations. My school was flexible with me, knowing that I needed to, need to do more in order to get exposure. Sure. And so I, I did an away rotation at Loma Linda. I, I scheduled it for my last away rotation because I knew I wanted to come back home and I wanted to save the, you know, the, the, my dream program for last just because I wanted to have the most experience hmm. before I would do, you know, get there. So that's what I did. I scheduled my other aways before Loma Linda and then, I got some ophthalmology experience and then so that when I went to Loma Linda, I was ready to go. And when I was there, I think it was, you know, everybody is extremely smart and intelligent. So it's not that, yeah, I don't think the brains, you know, really impress people or get you in. It's I think it's more of how you interact with people and your personality and, and the intangibles about you. So I just try to demonstrate, you know, who I was, show who I was and show that I'm willing to work hard. And, you know, I volunteered to do a grand rounds presentation, which I think is a general principle that you should always do at a way rotations. You should always volunteer for grand rounds. You should always volunteer to take call and you should use situational awareness, you know, realizing if the clinic is going slow, then you can ask more questions and maybe spend some more time examining patients. But if the clinic's kind of going uh, behind and, and things are getting, you know, kind of hectic to, to kind of take a step back and, just work on helping the clinic go more efficiently. So I think that those intangible things, you demonstrate that, you do a presentation, you can show that you articulate yourself. I think I did all that Loma Linda and, and they knew that I was passionate about this area and region. And, and, and that was that was pretty much it. And then I ended up matching here and it's it's been great ever since. Awesome. And Dr. Ahmed, we know we've uh, connected before and talked about some of the webinars you're able to host um, when you were applying and also after you matched. Can you just share, a, you know, three or four pearls from those webinars in terms of 
of um, you know how, how applicants can be the most successful. And you've already touched on it already um, during your during the response to our first question. But do you want to share a little bit about those webinars and and uh, a little bit of, of pearls from from what was learned from that? Yeah. So you know, I, I did those webinars. They're very low tech. I just kind of texted some friends that I knew and and DM some people on Instagram and. We shared it and both times they ended up being, you know, very widely viewed. And I think that speaks to the 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 gap of knowledge and, and the, the thirst for knowledge that exists in this field. And that's why I'm glad that you're doing this program and other things are kind of coming up to help students. So for me, out coming from New Mexico State, I was passionate about students that come from similar situations, smaller medical schools where they don't maybe don't have a department, maybe they don't have a residency program mm -hmm. and not even near them. So I wanted to tap into that you know aspect of things and i think the, the data shows like i think 50 or 55 percent of schools in the country have a residency program or department so i think like almost a majority of students don't have access to ophthalmologists and so i think it was just it's good for the field overall for us to get a wider pool of applicants and a wider cast a wider net so we're not missing out on some of these superstar students that would do so so much you know good good for our field domestically and internationally. So, you know, that was kind of the motivation behind the webinar is to help people that were in my position. Mm. And uh, you're, they're on YouTube if you search my name and you and you look up matching, you know, the uh, surgical subspecialty from a smaller medical school, you'll see a couple of the videos that we did. And so the overall kind of message that I can give you kind of some pearls would be, you know, it's first to lay out the problem. What is the problem typically when you come from a smaller school is you don't have access to Number one, networking, research, you know, connections, rotation experience. So the ways to mitigate that, some of the things that we propose is you, you create a social media presence on Twitter and Instagram. That's number one is professional. And number two is sincere. You're not, you know, being fraudulent about who you are and what your interests are and, and you're, you are yourself. Mm. And you reach out in a way that's, you know, not annoying and, and not, you know, <laughs> over the top, but you, you reach out and, and to different residents and attendings and you, you know, you slide in their DMs, which is what I always say. And you, you know, engage in sincere conversation with them. You, you tell them about who you are, you ask them if they have any projects and then you deliver when, and now, especially with COVID, a lot of stuff has been going remote. A lot of research is now going remote. People are willing to take students for research projects, even if they're across the country. And so the systems and infrastructure from COVID is now set up in such a way where this is even easier for you to get research. And then also as it was not only projects you get, you can also get, you know, networking from that. You can, you know, they get to know you because they work with you, then they can recommend you based on your work ethic. Mm -hmm. So it mitigates a, a, quite a few of, of the, you know, challenges that you face from a smaller school just by having social media. And then you, what you do is you find the nearest department to you for me, I was in Las Cruces, New Mexico. The nearest ophthalmology program was University of Arizona, which is three and a half hours away. So basically wow. for, for me, what and I got lucky at my school, we had rotation hubs. So we had like 10 or 15 students that would be sent to Tucson if they wanted to for the third year rotation. So I recognized that and I chose Tucson and I would go to Grand Rounds at Arizona whenever I could. So the other pearl is you attend Grand Rounds wherever is nearest to you and even if it's two hours away you go once a month when once every two months you make that sacrifice and once you're there you introduce yourself again in a sincere way to faculty to residents you let them know who you are uh, that you would like some exposure you're here to learn you you're, you would love to shadow them maybe in their office and so i did that at arizona and i got research opportunities from there 
I got uh, a letter of recommendation from there. I got to spend some time in the clinic with the chairman who, who, who was very you know helpful to me. And, and I'm very grateful to him, Dr. Miller. He's no longer the chairman. I think he's retired now, but you know, that's another pearl. And now again, with COVID there's virtual rounds. So now you can virtually attend grand rounds and you can make your presence known by asking questions and engaging. Uh, and so that's another uh, pearl that I would give. And then lastly is being involved in advocacy. And if you go to an MD school, that's the American Medical Association Medical Student Section. If you go to a DO school, that's SOMA, Student Osteopathic Medical Association. You join those clubs locally, and then they can link you up with your state medical associations. And when you start getting involved in your in your local and state associations, uh, you're you're protecting your profession. You're enhancing your profession, and and by doing that, you're protecting your patients. You're developing experiences. You're developing a new, unique narrative because not that many people are involved in advocacy. Right. And then that also opens up networking for you. And so, and so then you know these are the ways: grand rounds, getting involved in advocacy, and social media. That I think are three major avenues mm-hmm. that you can really build, a, you know, a network and and mitigate some of those issues that arise when you don't have access to that local ophthalmology department. Mm. That, that was awesome, Dr. Ahmed. Thank you for sharing your wisdom on that. Um, and I guess shifting gears a little bit, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of some of the things that the residents have, have given us feedback on, on, on why they were so successful the past few years was the idea of building a brand for yourself when you're applying and making sure that uh, ADCOMs and, and, and ophthalmology residency programs can identify you when they're going through applications. So Dr. Ahmed, were you, do you think, I mean, you were obviously successful in that, in that endeavor. How do you think applicants successfully build a brand for themselves? And do you have any advice on, on kind of that topic? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. You have to make yourself a known commodity and you have to have a unique aspect to yourself. And for each person, it's different. And, and, and so that's one thing that I recognize is each person's story. Each person is unique. It sounds corny, but, you know, everybody's unique and, and special in some way. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a Disney statement, but it's, it's actually it's based in reality. So there is something unique about you that separates you from others. And so it's about recognizing that and presenting that, you know, in an application, in an interview setting, in, in meetings, the things, meetings you attend, places, you conferences you attend. And, and, and letting that show. And so for me personally, and also, you know, your brand doesn't have to be something insanely spectacular. You don't have to be, you know, doing research with NASA. You don't have to earn a Nobel prize. You don't have to save, you know, a bunch of cats from a, you know, a burning tree or whatever the metaphor is. You can, you can, you can just do something, you know, something unique. If you're good at uh, music, let's say you're really good at playing an instrument or something. You know, that can be a unique identifier for you. Let's say you're really good at social media and you build up a, a follower base on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and you use that to educate and mentor. That's a unique aspect you can bring up. Let's say you have an engineering background or you used to work at, at some type of business or you have your own business. Whatever the case may be, you know, there's something there for everyone or you come from a, a unique place or a unique family situation. Identify what makes you unique and, and really go with that. For me, it was my advocacy work. I uh, helped our state association pass three different legislations. So wow. it was, you know, that was something that was unique. I had advocated at a federal level, at, at a local level. I had met with the Surgeon General. So 
you know, and again, you don't have to meet with a surgeon general, but for me, advocacy was a unique thing. And then another unique thing was, it's kind of funny, is I was in a movie as in a med when I was in medical school, I was an extra in the movie 12 Strong. And it's like a hilarious thing. Sure. It's, like, it's like me and my roommates, you know, they had a cat in New Mexico. Surprisingly, there's a lot of movies that are shot. Wow. And, and so because there's a diverse terrain. And so there was a casting call for like Taliban. And me and my three brown roommates, uh, you know, were fit perfectly for that. So one of our one of our classmates thought it was a thought it'd be a funny joke to send us the the casting call for that. And so basically, long story short, we we went there for fun and we were like a part of that movie for a day. And we weren't Taliban because we refused that, but we were like a <laughs> villagers. So we acted as villagers and we had a good time. We met Chris Hemsworth, the, you know, all this crap. And it was it's a unique, funny thing. So you know, for me, policy. Uh, the fact that I was in a movie shows that I'm kind of, you know, I'm willing to have fun and do all these things. Yeah. And and three, the fact that I was from New Mexico, an underserved area, and I'm from the Inland Empire and California's underserved area. I think that was also a part of kind of my brand. Mm -hmm. And for me, those are the things that made me unique. And and for you, you just gotta identify what makes you unique. You know, own it. And and like you said, you gotta you gotta definitely you know brand yourself. You have to because you because everybody has great scores, research outstanding letters you know everybody has all that right perfect well i think there's a lot to be learned dr ahmed and, and uh, we appreciate you continuing to share that so i know you just finished up your intern year um and i'm sure there's a a, a slew of challenges that that come with intern year as well can you tell us a little bit about how you approached intern year especially as an ophthalmology resident you know what was your approach and, and what were some of the more challenging um, kind of things that you dealt with throughout the year? It's a great question. The, cha the challenge is, is your end goal and your 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 life purpose uh, in not purpose, but maybe, yeah, purpose is to be an ophthalmologist and you're in a, you know, prelim, you know, medicine year or you're in a surgery year or you're in a transitional year. And the question is, is how do you, how much do you dedicate towards, learning and and mastering the hypo the differential for hyponatremia and mm. you know mental status change and how much do you prepare for the future and learn more and more about ophthalmology that's that's one challenge how, how do you what's the balance you know that and i don't have the answer for that but i tried to balance both out and i i kind of split my time 50 50 in in studying and reading about general medicine topics and ophthalmology that's a challenge number two you know you know, for me, I like to do research projects and that focus on health policy and medical education, especially in an ophthalmology context. Now, you know, how much time do I dedicate to to that versus how much time do I dedicate to just learning how to be a doctor? And, and be, so, so that's that's challenge. The third challenge is reminding yourself that there are always lessons that you can take from a medicine or a surgery year that will apply to ophthalmology. Just just because it doesn't seem that way, if you're on a rheumatology rotation or infectious disease, you may think that, oh yeah, here's a few clinical correlates, but other than this, what am I really getting? You, you have to, you have to not think like that. And you have to realize that just, you know, getting a history, doing a physical exam, you know, even writing notes, just understanding how to get cultures, sure. you know, those, these intangible things will all translate to, to your ophthalmology, uh, you know, years. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't think that, oh, I'm wasting my time. I don't know what's going on. Just recognize that you're picking up tools that are going to help you forever having that mindset and and balance you know finding that balance for you how much do you want to prepare for ophthalmology versus how much you want to focus on what's ahead of what's in front of you some people say don't even think about ophthalmology uh so i and i think there's no right answer 
And then the other thing is, you know, now with, with intern year being integrated, there's you usually spend several months doing ophthalmology. So in our program, we you know we had three months, one at the VA, one at County Hospital, and one month doing consults and just, you know, refining your exam skills as much as you can. If ideally, if you can get to a point where you already know how to use the slit lamp and you already know how to use the indirect, you can go Neo, you can get some basic differentials. If you can get to that point by the end of your intern year, I think, you know, those are good realistic goals and, and will put you ahead. Perfect. And I think that's a great segue into talking about Loma Linda's ophthalmology program. And, and you've talked about this already as well, but can you talk to us about what specifically kind of drew you to Loma Linda? Uh, but, you know, you, obviously you, you're from that area and, um, I also understand that Loma Linda has a kind of a religious uh, background to um, the school's origin. So tell us a little bit about, about what, what, what specifically attracted you to Loma Linda. So I have, I have a long life kind of connection to Loma Linda. My younger brother, when he was a baby, he was bitten by a rattlesnake. He like picked up a rattlesnake and shook it. It bit him when he was like three or four years old. And then, you know, it was in the garage, so it was dark, so no one knew what happened. My dad took my little brother inside to the living room. He was about to put him to sleep. And then something told my dad to go check in the garage. And luckily, the baby rattlesnake was still there. And so we called the, you know, the paramedics. They came and they flew him to Loma Linda, where there was a physician named Dr. Sean Bush, who happened to be like a world-renowned rattlesnake bite expert. And he saved my brother's life. So that was my first exposure to Loma Linda. So I always kind of have this this always had this love for that place because they saved my brother mm -hmm. uh, outside of that you know they're they're in the inland empire where i'm from mm -hmm. and not only that there's there's a lot of unique aspects about the program itself you you train in very diverse settings mm -hmm. they have a county hospital affiliation so you get the county style patients they have a va affiliation so you get the vet veterans mm -hmm. and they have the academic university hospital which you know you get the get that experience as well there's a children's hospital so you get that and then also they have affiliation with the navy medical center in san diego so you even get that type of experience and then they also you know, there's also a unique refractive surgery aspect in your last year where you get trained in refractive surgery which is is pretty rare and unique so the diverse practice setting the you know the affiliation with that navy medical base and you get a, a cool pathology course there and you get the refractive surgery training within residency those are things that i think make the program really unique and and a strong program and then it, aside from those things you know my own personal ties uh, to the region and to the hospital made me want to go there and you mentioned the religious uh history and and so there's a lot you know there's a lot of hospitals that have a religious tie like cedar sinai is heavily, you know, affiliated with with the Jewish faith, mm. and you know, there's a lot of different, you know, Methodists and, and so on and so forth. And Loma Linda, the community it's affiliated with, is the Seventh Day Adventist community. Mm. And my experience has been really good with with this community. They're very nice, welcoming, friendly people. You know, they live to like a hundred years old. The Loma Linda is like one of the four blue zones in the world where people tend to live really, really, lo you know, long. Yeah. I think the other places that are like in Japan, Italy, and Greece, or, or something like that. So they're, they're very, you know, a beautiful people and community. And in, in the practical sense, in, in terms of being a physician there, you know, there's, I'm, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist. A lot of my co-residents are, a lot of faculty aren't. Uh, so, you know, it's very diverse religious backgrounds. There's a lot of, you know, harmony, 
I, I think it's integrated really well. The they, they tend to focus as an institution on, you know, whole person care, not just treating the symptoms, not just approaching the patient as a problem, uh, but, you know, addressing their spiritual needs, you know, their personal needs, their social needs, and considering that as a part of your care. And so that kind of philosophy of whole whole patient care is is something that I definitely ascribe to. And so from a philosophical point of view, uh, you know, I, I aligned with Loma Linda's approach institutionally. And so I think that was another another aspect. So there's the philosophical approach. There's the the unique aspects of the program that make it strong. Mm-hmm. And then there's my personal connections, which is why. So those those three different facets are why I wanted to be at Loma Linda. Awesome. And a few more specific questions um, about the ophthalmology program itself. Do you know what the call schedule is like? Um, and and can you tell us a little bit about how a resident's approach call? Yeah, so we just got like our call schedule for the July. Mm-hmm. So it, what, what, we have five residents a year. So what ends up happening is you're on call every fifth weekend, mm-hmm. roughly. And you're on call like every fifth or sixth day, rough, roughly as a second year, PG, as a PGY2 or a first year ophthalmology resident. So me as a PGY2 ophthalmology resident or, or first year ophthalmology resident, it's confusing because this is the prelim year. Right. I'm basically going to be on call like once every five week, you know, weekends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, roughly. And then I'm going to be on call every fifth or sixth day. And it's, ho- you know, like it's home call. I think one of the challenges of this, the county hospital mm. is like maybe 20, 30 minutes away from the university hospital, the VA mm-hmm. and Arrowhead, which is another hospital that I forgot to mention that we cover so you get, like I mentioned earlier, you get the county, the VA, you get that naval base, you get the university, the children's hospital, but you also get this Arrowhead hospital, which is another county hospital. You can even consider it a community hospital. So, so you know, we, we cover a lot of sites, um, but but that's basically what it is. And and it's there's a really good understanding amongst the residents. Like for example, I was on, I'm on call, you know, in July, a certain week where my best friend is now getting married. Uh, that weekend and I just texted my you know resident group and I just asked them can I switch and within five minutes I had switched and it was formally executed so it's very it's very you know straightforward in that sense amazing amazing and in terms of of experience and then so then once you're once you go to your second year you take call like like you know it's even you don't take call once every you know five weekends at all you don't even you're just back up for most of the year mm. so you you rarely are primary call i think it's like once every you know i could be wrong on the exact numbers here but it's i think it's one once every few months or something that you're primary so it's really that that first pgy one year mm. or sorry pgy two years slash first year opto which is what i'm about to embark on where you have most call and even that is really not that bad amazing amazing um, and then in terms of uh, surgical experience and surgical volume, um, so when, when, do, when does it start to be the primary surgeon performing procedures and, and kind of doing all that um, as the primary physician? Yeah, I think this is a, a better question for a senior, but based on the conversations that I've had and, the, you know, just passively, you know, observing, it, it really depends on what the procedure and surgery is. Mm. For example, as early as intern year, I've done PRP. Wow. You know, so, so, it, so it just depends. And then I, I like, for example, this coming year, uh, it, it's commonplace that other residents will be, you know, doing the strabismus surgeries and, and pterygium. And then the year after that, 
cataracts and so on and so forth. So it depends on the procedure slash surgery. And it also depends on, you know, our level of preparation as an individual resident, like how much time we've put in and understanding all the steps and being in the simulation labs and, and whatnot. So, but, but I think just based off my intern year, it's been extremely hands-on. Like we've been doing like a lot of our, my entire class, we've all done, you know, 15 or 20 or 25. I don't even remember the number intravitreal injections. We've all done PRP. We've all done YAGs. And this is as a, as a prelim. So there's a lot of opportunity and, and it's really, you know, dependent on the individual, you know, in terms of how early or how quickly or how much autonomy they'll get. Sure. Sure. And I think that's probably the same. I think that's a, that principle of, the individual preparation, the attending also that you're with. I think that's a pretty much a general principle across the board for all programs. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, we have one last question for you. Um, and it's again about Loma Linda for applicants who may not have the opportunity to rotate at Loma Linda. Um, and you've already touched on this as well, but maybe to get a little bit more of a specific view, what is specifically unique about Loma Linda? What's the culture like at Loma Linda that maybe separates it uh, from some of the other programs? It's it's a very relaxed culture. Uh, people all like each other. It's very fun. Uh, the you know, like I said, the the experiences that you get as a physician, you you work in pretty much every single practice setting. So you're you're ready to go for any practice setting afterwards. The other thing is when, when you look at a residency program, you want to see are all the residents going into fellowship or are all of them going into private practice? And I think you want a place that has a 50-50 split almost because that shows you that the residents, if they want to go into private practice, they feel comfortable enough in their surgical skill set that they can go right into practice. If they want a fellowship, the program is academic and well-connected enough that they can get a fellowship wherever they want. So when you look, if you look at Loma Linda's website, you'll see the last five, seven years, you know, we have people going into fellowships all across the country. We have a good number of going into private practice. So that shows you that the training is good. You get the diverse patient experience. It's a great culture. Mm. And you get that early refractive formal experience in San Diego, which is, which, which is one of the few programs in the country that offers that. And then you have to ask yourself, you know, do you enjoy good weather? Do you enjoy sunlight? Do you enjoy good food? And you do like every type of cuisine that exists? You know, do you like to be 40 minutes from the beach, 40 minutes from, you know, the snow, 40 minutes from the city, 40, you know what I mean? You know, 40 minutes from the desert. Do you like national parks? Are you a Lakers fan? If you, you know, do you enjoy life? If you, if those things are answers are yes for you, then Lomaland is another, you know, it should be a good selection for you. It'll work out well for you. Awesome. Well, Dr. Harris, thank you so much for taking time today to talk to us about Loma Linda ophthalmology and your path to ophthalmology. Um, and for anybody that has any other maybe specific questions, um, would you mind sharing with us your Twitter accounts um, where people yeah. can reach out to you? Yeah, so my Twitter and Instagram are at Dr. Harris Lakers, H-A-R-R-I-S-L-A-K-E-R-S. Okay. And, um, you know, people, you know, the volume that I get now of people messaging me is pretty high. So if I don't get back to you within a, a week, just send me another message and I will get back. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, again, Dr. Harris, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us. We really appreciate your help. and. Uh, uh, we we're excited for you to start your career basically now and, and get some more training in, in the field that you 
you always wanted to join. So uh, any last thoughts as we kind of part here? Oh, yeah. The last thing I wanted to say is, uh, you know, if you come from a smaller school like I did, mm. you know, we'll check out the, those webinars and don't self-select yourself out of any program. Don't don't think that you can't make it somewhere or you're not good enough. You know, give it give it a chance, but you know, be realistic. Give yourself backup options, but don't self select yourself out. You'll be surprised at the you know who places will take people. You know, it's all about just getting to know them. So don't self select yourself out. And the last thing is, you know, enjoy the process because if you look too far ahead, then you'll miss what's right in front of you. Well said, Doctor Ahmed. Well, thank you so much again. Um, for joining us today and we'll be uh, excited to see what you have in store for all of us in the next few years and uh, this was IRES we have a lot of new exciting events coming up and then activities planned for everybody so please be on the lookout for that uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time all right I'm gonna go to the safari park now <laughs>